This is Real Estate Rookie, episode 95. I look for the cool factor. I want cool properties in cool places so that I can feel cool. I mean, really, that's what I want. And so I look for things like, I like to see other houses being renovated, My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with Tony Robinson. Today, Tony is in beautiful, sunny California, as usual, but I am here in 100-degree weather in Las Vegas. But we, we got to tell them why you're there, Ashley. You're there trying to gamble off the sadness and, and despair that you felt from losing out on that deal last week. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you guys. I put in my biggest offer ever on a property And there was me and one other person. They actually stopped all showings because they said the offers were good enough. And the seller had me running around getting different financing because he didn't like certain kind of loan I got. So then I had to go find another one. And finally, after a week, they decided to accept the other offer. It was actually in the newspaper while he was considering the offers that this it was a campground that this campground had two offers on it and the sellers were deciding and one was a local investor me and one was an investment group from los angeles so i am convinced that it is tony who knew about this deal <laughs> got you all together I, and I, bought I this property sight unseen <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to break it to you like that, Ashley. It was me. No. And you know what? Until I started telling this story right now, I didn't even make that connection. But before when we talked about this deal so many other times, but yeah. So it was Tony. Well, more deals to come. If this one didn't work out, I'm sure there'll be others. And maybe maybe it's outside of Buffalo. Maybe it's somewhere a little bit further out, and you you finally get that out of state or out of out of Buffalo deal done. Yeah, yeah, it would be nice to get out of New York State for investing. What about you, Tony? What deals are you working on? Yeah, we closed on a property last week. So this will be our first Burr short-term rental in Joshua Tree. So we got a three-bedroom, two-bath out there that we picked up. Going to take like eight to 10 weeks to get the rehab done. Hopefully we can refinance, get all of our capital back. And I think that'll probably be our more normal model moving forward as opposed to, to buying turnkey. But we also did something kind of unexpected, but we we made the decision to sell the first Joshua Tree property that we bought The market's heated up quite a bit since we purchased there last year. Like we've literally only owned it for like eight and a half months. Hasn't even been a full year yet. And uh, the plan is to use those proceeds to go out and buy a couple more cabins in the Smoky Mountains. So I would say, hey guys, come take a look at the listing. But I'm assuming by the time this airs, it'll probably be sold already with how crazy the Joshua Tree market is. So I'll post some pictures so you guys can see what it looked like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is awesome. I, I hope it does sell very quickly and for a very high price. Uh-oh. Yeah, fingers crossed. So yeah, today we have a guest on, Holly, who is going to talk to us about right off the bat USDA loans, which we've never had anybody on talking about that. Then we're going to talk about SBA loans. And then she also goes into how to find an investor friendly agent. So those were like, there's a ton more value in this episode, but those were like the top three. I think the thing that stood out to me the most and what I really want listeners to focus on is when she talked about her transition from the single family investments into the duplexes and commercial properties that she purchased. I think it's a really insightful part of the podcast that that a lot of the Rickies will hopefully resonate with. So yeah, lots of good stuff throughout this entire episode. And let's bring Holly on. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We know and you all know why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with RentReady. Now, RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six-month plan for only $1. Visit RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like bigger pockets investor for six months of rent ready for only one dollar. Holly, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you on today. I'm so glad to be here and I'm honored. I'm such a big bigger pockets fan. So thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So Holly, we'll get into your story, your real estate investing journey, but I guess tell us how you got started. Uh, what, what led you down this path to becoming a real estate investor? So First property I bought with a USDA loan, actually before my now husband asked me to marry him. So we got into that property and a couple years into it, we ended up turning it into a rental. And so just kind of, I joke that you get one, it's kind of like getting a tattoo, you get one and you just can't stop. You just just want more. Holly, can you just tell everyone real quick what a USDA loan is? Because a lot of times we hear FHA for your first time loan. So can you tell us about that, please? So I was never really good at saving my money. So I didn't have a lot of money to buy anything. Even the 3% down at that time was would have been probably not feasible for an FHA. So I had to do USDA. It's a 0% down loan. And surprisingly, if you look, it's rural property. But if you look at the USDA map for the properties, they're typically not as far out as you might think. And they don't update those maps very often. So it's not as a lot of the USDA zones are really not as rural as I think people think. 
So yeah, that's what a USDA loan is. It's really a government-backed loan to incentivize folks to buy property in uh, rural on rural land. And you guys listening, we will link uh, the USDA maps too in the show notes at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 95. And you guys can check those out to see if maybe it's an option for you. I want to dig a little bit deeper on the USDA before we keep going, Holly, if that's okay. So is this USDA like available anywhere? Or is it just certain parts, like certain states that offer this thing? And then as the buyer, are there any requirements that I need to have to be qualified? Do I need to be like a, a farmer or something to get qualified for this? I guess like what are the requirements? No, those are good questions. So first question, location wise, I think it's nationwide. So you just uh, take a look at that map and see how close it might be to where you live. I mean, I'll give you an example here in Atlanta, northern Forsyth County coming, which really is a very commutable area to Atlanta. Many people who live there, if not most, commute into the city. So it's really not too far out. And then the second question about stipulations, there is a maximum income, I believe, and I don't know them offhand, but I'm sure the link to that map, you can see what some of the requirements are. So you can't make too much money. And then I believe there are some maximums as far as the amount that the property purchased. So there's some rules, just like with FHA. Yeah. And with that income limitation, I believe it varies by state and even by county too. So you can actually go onto the website and figure that out. And then it's your income is based on how many people are in your household. So it really varies. So for Holly to give us an answer, it'd be really hard to, to give us that exact number. I guess one, one other question in the USDA and Ashley, maybe you know this too, but I guess, is it only owner occupied properties or can you do this for an investment purpose as well? Owner occupied. Got it. Uh-huh. And you do need to live. It's really a lot like the FHA with that. I believe you, you only have to live there for a year, just like FHA. And then you can now you can't have two USDA loans out. So, yeah, there are some rules like that. Got it. But okay. it is owner occupied. You're right. I just like kind of digging a little bit deeper on that because it's another financing source that we really don't talk a lot about on the show. And it just proves that there's so many different ways to get the financing that people need in order to get that first investment deal done. Like for you, instead of just saying, hey, I don't have a big pile of cash sitting around to go out and buy my first investment property. Well, what options do I have at my disposal that I can go out and use to leverage? So what a great, we're like five minutes in and you're dropping like a really great tactic for new working investors to get started. Awesome. Good. Yeah, I don't think we've had anyone on that has talked about USDA loans before. So this is great. Yeah, it is interesting. I don't know why it's not more talked about. I mean, I know right now is a competitive market. So a lot of realtors are trying to pull away from FHA and kind of get their buyers doing conventional. But I mean, USDA is a great loan. And I don't hear a lot of lenders or realtors really educating their clients on it as an option, even when they are in those USDA zones. So that's great. I'm glad I could help. <laughs> Holly, before we go any further, can you give us a breakdown of what your portfolio looks like today? Sure. We, my husband and I have two duplexes and a commercial property. So let's go back to the very beginning. So you did the USDA on this first house. Then what happened after that? And when did you really realize that you wanted to be a real estate investor and keep pursuing this? Probably thanks to Bigger Pockets. I've been listening to Bigger Pockets for many years now. And so I'm sure I owe it all to Bigger Pockets, really. I mean, Bigger Pockets is just a life-changing platform and podcast and 
love what you guys are doing as well with the rookie podcast. That was a perfect answer. Couldn't have said it better <laughs> yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll send you your payment afterwards. How I thank you for the, the great yeah. plug. Good, <laughs> great. Yeah. So, so to answer the question, so the trajectory really went like this. We wanted to kind of upgrade our house, so we decided to keep our house as a rental, and that was a, really the beginning, the baby step into being landlords. We cash flowed about a hundred bucks a month on that property. We went and bought another house, which we did like a mini flip. So we lived there for a year. I actually got pregnant and hated the smell of that house and just couldn't, I had to leave. I was just, <laughs> so we ended up buying a brand new house so that I had no smells to deal with and <laughs> built, we built a house after that. So anyway, so we kind of inadvertently flipped the second house because I had to get out. <laughs> and then I started thinking, what are we really making on this single family house? And when I really crunched the numbers, we're only making about a hundred bucks a month. So that's not enough. So, and in that period of time, the market had increased. So we were able to sell that first house that I had bought and with the proceeds of that home, we went and bought two duplexes with them. Holly, I, I want to point out because you just hit on something that I think is really important for rookie investors to understand. You bought this single family residence. You were able to turn that into your first rental. But you then realize that, okay, this approach doesn't align with my long-term goals, right? Like the amount of cash flow that I'm getting from this one single family residence doesn't align with my goals as a real estate investor. And you were able to sell that property and use that to get into a property that was more closely aligned with the goals that you had for yourself. I think sometimes as real estate investors or as rookie real estate investors, especially the folks that haven't done this yet, they put so much pressure on themselves to make that first deal this big home run, right? Where the numbers have to be crazy good and they need 30% cash on cash and they want to make a thousand dollars a door. But it's like your first deal, you're making a hundred bucks and maybe it wasn't a home run, but it gave you the confidence that you needed to keep going. It then gave you the capital once you sold it to transition into something else. And I think that's the thing that rookie real estate investors need to focus on is that the purpose of the first deal is to give you the confidence, the skills, the knowledge, the ability to keep scaling and keep growing. So you, I love that you guys had that realization and you made that change. And that, yeah, I think just to add on to what Tony said was that you took something that wasn't working as a rental and you found a, a way for it to work for a different real estate strategy. So that's, if you're a new investor, think about if you purchase a property, do you have multiple exit strategies that you can use on that property? And obviously when you first bought it as primary residence, you weren't thinking of all these things, but it ended up working for you. And now you have that skill and you have that knowledge that going forward, you have multiple options if a deal doesn't end up working out how you thought it would. Let's go back to the mini flip on that second house. What do you mean a mini flip? Give us the details on that. I guess in retrospect, it's just, it was a year long flip. I just don't classify it as a true flip because it's just not what I went into. It's not what we bought it for specifically, but it ended up becoming one because we lived in it while we did the renovations minimal renovations. It really was a small renovation project. And then we made, we did make some money off it. So that's why I call it a mini flip. It was a live in flip. It was. And we were able with the money that we 
earned on that, we were able to, that really helped us put the down payment on our new construction home that we now lived in. So it definitely, you know, those three steps kind of helped us to get into a home that we're much more comfortable in that that doesn't smell. (laughs) (laughs) So not only did you take your first primary residence and use it to get the four more units, the two duplexes, but you also used your second primary residence to get yourself a brand new build. Using that to scale and to step up is really awesome. And that is a great thing about real estate is that you can start out small, but use those small properties to continue to grow and scale. And sometimes that's how people get into these big apartment complexes. They start out with a couple single family homes or a couple duplexes. Well, then those appreciate those cash flow and they do a 1031 exchange into the 16 unit. And then they do a 1031 exchange into a 40 unit and keep growing. So if you have a dream of buying a huge multifamily apartment building, you can start out small and you can definitely get yourself there and look into 1031 exchange. Hopefully that does not go away soon. There has been some talk and some rumors about that. But did you guys use a 1031 exchange at all? Oh, it's funny you bring that up because that was one mistake that I made. I used a 1031 and like halfway through, I'm like, wait a minute, did I actually have to use a 1031? Because I lived in the place two out of the five years. Oh, and I was no. like, oh my gosh. No. And this was a good lesson for me because I paid, let's say, eight or nine hundred bucks for the 1031 that I didn't actually need to use because we qualified for the the rule. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's two out of the last five years. If you lived in it two out of the last five years. And then you do not have capital gains tax. You don't have to use a 1031, basically. So anyway, I did. And my realtor, who is investor savvy at the time, now I'm a realtor, but I had a realtor then. And my 1031 guy, nobody stopped and asked me that question. And you know what? I had known the answer. I remember learning that before. But it was just a good lesson to me to really slow down because things move so fast when you're going through these transactions, it's so easy to forget what you know. And I just, now going forward, I try to like slow myself down and make sure I ask if it's a tax question, I should have called the CPA instead of relying upon my realtor and the 1031 intermediary to have all those answers or to slow down themselves and ask me all the right questions. So that was a good learning lesson. That is such great advice right there is that it is so easy to forget things that you already know. Something so simple is that and that can save you money. How much did you spend on the 1031 exchange to have it done? Do you remember? I think it was eight or 900. So you could have saved eight or $900 and still not have had to pay taxes on the income. So just to recap real quick, 1031 exchange is actually part of the IRS's tax code. And it's some call it a loophole where what you can do is you can take a property and you can take the proceeds from the sale of that property and put it into another investment property. And you will not have to pay capital gains tax on the proceeds of that sale. So basically it's deferred income, so your taxes are deferred on that. So eventually if you can keep 1031 exchanging and deferring those taxes you would pay on that income, what would trigger it is you decide not to 1031 exchange anymore and you sell a property. And then also 
if you pass away, it would trigger it too. Is that right, Tony? Yeah. But I think there's also a way, like if when you do pass, that there's a way for your for the people that inherit inheritance, to, yeah, yeah, and defer those so tax, that they don't have taxing. to pay it either, yeah. yeah. So it's a really powerful tool, right? Like a lot of really savvy real estate investors use this, like Ashley said, to just keep scaling up the size of their portfolio. So Holly, you're like a little real estate ninja already using these really cool tags. You got the USDA loan, you've got the 1031 exchange. You're pulling out a lot of cool things that I think a lot of folks haven't heard of yet. Just think that $800 was a learning experience on the process of doing a 1031 exchange. There is a timeline too. So you have to identify the new property you're going to purchase within a certain amount of time. And you have to close on the new property within a certain amount of time. So it's not like you can go and sell your property and then just hold on to the cash for three years, then buy another one. And the purpose of that 1031 intermediary is they actually hold the cash until you close on the newest property too. So you don't even get to see it. Yeah. I guess one other thing to add on, like we haven't done a 1031 yet. We actually, I don't think I've told you this yet, Ashley, but we just listed one of our properties in Joshua Tree. Um, we're no, looking you didn't. That. Yeah. We're looking at 1031, one of those into a cabin in the Smoky Mountains. But you can also, I always thought it was black or white where either you use all the proceeds and it got taxed or you put it all into the 1031 exchange, but you can actually decide how much of the gains you want to pull out and then you can 1031 the rest of it. So say you have, I don't know, net proceeds of like 50 grand. You want to take out 10,000, you pay the taxes on that. The remaining 50,000, you can still put into a 1031 and use that tax-free to go buy something else. So lots of really cool things around the 1031 that I'm, I'm still kind of learning as we go through this process. And we will put a link in the show notes for Tony's property for sale. Whoever <laughs> yeah, for both of them, the one in Shreveport. But if you buy my, if you buy my Joshua Tree Airbnb, you also have to buy my house in Shreveport that I've been trying to sell for like six months now. So they're a package deal. It's a deal. package deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Holly, you invest in Tennessee. Tell us about your property there because we were kind of talking how Tony has a property in Tennessee, which he is not selling those properties yet. But go ahead and tell us about your Tennessee property. So the duplex in Tennessee, it's actually technically on the Georgia side. So it's Chattanooga, but it's on the Georgia side in a town called Rossville, which is 10 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, but not as known on a national scale, I think, with investors. So maybe a little overlooked. So the numbers are really good there. Whereas in Chattanooga proper, it's becoming quite a bit more competitive and the numbers are a little harder, tighter. But yeah, that was a good, that's a good property. It was $125,000 purchase price for a duplex. Didn't really need any work. Great renters. That was only a year ago, a little more, a year and a half. And the rent has gone up 200 bucks on each side. So each side is now $900 for long-term rent. But not to get too ahead of myself here, but I am in the process of converting these to short-term rentals. Holly, how did you find that market? You said that it's not as well-known by investors. How did you find it and how did you analyze it? I feel like that's one of my strengths, actually. I really try to think outside the box and come at things a little bit differently. I'm, I'm not super savvy when it comes to analytics and numbers. I use the bigger pockets calculator religiously and thank goodness for it. But beyond that, I'm really not that sophisticated when it comes to marketing analysis. And I don't think I look at a lot of the traditional things people look at. I look for the cool factor. I want cool properties in cool places so that I can feel cool. That's what I want. And so I look for things like I like to see other houses being renovated. 
I look for tattoos and hipsters. Again, that cool factor. I want to see art galleries and local coffee shops, local bars, just kind of that vibe. So that's kind of how I narrowed down my markets to where I wanted burr potential. So I wanted places where there was a value add and I just didn't want to compete with everybody else. So I really like to look for a little under the radar spots that aren't quite as talked about on the national stage, especially with COVID. I mean, gosh, now that we can work anywhere, I also like a little outdoor quality because I feel that a lot of people who work remotely, they like to have that outdoor lifestyle. So some place that has that to offer as well. So those are kind of the things that I look for in a market. Well, you, you just gave away your secret market right now because all the real estate rookies are going to go, gonna go uh, move in on, on your market right now. So That's cool. They'll increase my property value. Yeah, that's not a bad thing, right? <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about, you said transitioning some of these long-term rentals into short-term rentals, I guess. Talk us through your thought process on making that transition because you said you were able to raise the rents $200 you know, in a relatively short period of time, which is pretty good for a long-term rental. What's driving the, the desire to change these to short-term? You know, I used to work in hotels when I was younger in Florida. I'm originally from St. Pete, Florida. And working at a hotel front desk was always my favorite job ever. And then my career was sales, but I just really miss working in hotels. I've always wanted to own a hotel. Like that's like the dream job, you know, a hotel and a bar where I could just karaoke every night. So Airbnb is kind of like my chance to almost sort of own a hotel. I think... I hope I'll be good at it. I have like, let's see, two more days before my my deadline to launch two of them live. So <laughs> it's all happening. I'm that's one thing I tell my clients, like I'm in the trenches with you. I am really I'm I'm getting my hands dirty. So this is all happening and unfolding. But yeah, I'm transitioning. Long term rentals are great, but short term rentals are exciting and the cash flow is two to three times more. Now that's self-managing. But even if you outsource it, it's still a little bit more on the cash flow. So it's just exciting. One follow-up question. How, like, what made you confident that that city was a good city for short-term rentals? I know what you said you kind of looked for on the long-term rental side, but just because a property can do well as a long-term rental doesn't always mean that it'll succeed as a short-term rental. So I guess what were some of the signs you saw that made you say, okay, I feel confident that this property will still do well once I make that transition? Well, our other duplex is in a true tourist town. So that was kind of an easy answer for me. And then, of course, I I ordered the AirDNA reports for both of them. And hopefully that all pans out. But the data looks really good for both. And then the Chattanooga one, even though I didn't initially, I wasn't wasn't thinking Airbnb for that one. But then when I pulled the report, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. And Chattanooga can be tricky with their ordinances. But Rossville, where this particular duplex is, and anyway, I'm, yeah, you're right, I'm giving away all my secrets. They have not figured out their ordinances yet, which is a whole nother topic, the ordinance topic. But yeah, so, so Airbnb is fair game there. And again, being 10 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, Chattanooga is a popular vacation destination as well. Tony just had to leave the podcast so that he could go uh, put in an offer on a Rossville property. <laughs> I'm literally on Airbnb right now, typing in Rossville to see what's on there. That's so funny. <laughs> Not a lot of competition. <laughs> so I have one short-term rental and it's in a very small town. And I think there's three other short-term rental properties in there. So there's not a lot of 
Airbnb or short-term rental data in that market for me to go out and pay for software. So can you explain what AirDNA is and what exactly it does and if it's worth paying for and how much does it cost? I think it's totally worth it. I mean, AirDNA pulls from VRBO and Airbnb. So sounds like pretty reliable data to me. It'll show you the year-round average occupancy. Again, I don't go too deep. I look at a couple of things. I look at year-round occupancy. I don't worry that much about seasonality. I just want to know the averages and figure it out from there. And then uh, look at your average nightly rentals. So you can kind of get an idea of what that particular unit would bring in. You can drill down into your competition, if you want to call it that, but you can drill down into the other Airbnbs in that area to see how they look and what kind of occupancy they have. You can even see if they are available. So some rentals will only be available. They only open it to rent for a certain period of time during the year. So you can kind of compare the ones that are full year-round rentals, and it'll show you how much revenue they're bringing in. So I think it's a great resource. Now, what I do, it's a subscription. So I don't want to pay for that year-round. So I just buy it for a month, and then I put a reminder on my calendar to cancel in a month. But sometimes I forget. But yeah. <laughs> One other thing. So RDNA is great for doing research, for sure. But I've noticed that the data, it's you know like any piece of software, it's not always super accurate. One of the ways that I really like to do research on a potential market is literally just opening up Airbnb and seeing comparable property to the one that I'm looking to purchase and seeing what their rates are for the next 30, 60, 90, 180 days, seeing what their occupancy looks like for the next 30, 60, 90, 180 days. And once you do that for 10, 15, somewhere around their listings, you have a really good idea on what the going rate is for Airbnbs in your market. So AirDNA can get expensive if you're looking for multiple markets. Like I know where, where I invest, I think it's like 99, 95 per month per market. So if you're trying to do that for a lot of places, it can get kind of expensive. So that's the kind of ninja trick if you want to do it the freeway. Holly, I want to know, how are you finding your deals? Are you getting them off the MLS? Are you doing direct mail? What's working for you? I mean, I'm really boring with that. It's just, yeah, MLS, realtors. Now I am a realtor, so that helps, I guess, in the Georgia markets. But no, I, you know, I try to align myself with investor savvy realtors wherever I'm going and share with them my parameters. But yeah, it's just really, you know, your good old fashioned on market. I really have not had a whole lot of luck with off market. I'm on some lists and email lists and that sort of thing. But I have helped my clients with a couple off market, but no, mine were just regular old MLS. I could just give us a, a quick rundown of what that purchase was. And was it on the MLS? Like, did you find it on Zillow? Or was it some other platform? Hmm, that one's probably LoopNet. So full disclosure, that my husband owns a swimming pool service company and he was leasing space and they were outgrowing it. And so it was time to buy a place. It made more sense financially to buy. So we used the SBA loan actually for that and transferred it into our real estate LLC out of his business LLC. So essentially his business is my tenant. So they pay, <laughs> they still pay us rent. That's how I do it for my commercial property too. I have a, a business and, a, and the business pays my property LLC rent. And I think that's great for liability protection too. So if someone goes after the business, the property is in its own separate LLC or vice versa. Instead of having all your eggs in one basket, the business and the property in one LLC. 
So I, I really like that technique too, that you're, you're doing that. Is it just one commercial space in that building or do you have other tenants in there? It's just one. Yeah. It's a warehouse, office warehouse. And then you used an SBA loan to purchase the property. What was that like? How did that differ? Because I know a lot of people do SBA loans for their business, but I'm not very familiar with uh, actually using it to purchase property. My husband can answer that one a little bit better because he worked really hard on that. I know. So if for anyone out there that owns a business and uh, wants to look into this, there are the Small Business Development Center, SBDC, I believe. It's actually tied in with the, I believe, the Chamber of Commerce, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. It is a free program that if you Google it, you should be able to find one relatively close to you. A lot of times they're located on campuses, university campuses, but they are separate and they are open to the public and they're completely free. Again, Small Business Development Center. We both have used that, actually, my husband and I, for different purposes, but they essentially give free consulting. And he worked with someone that really coached him on how to apply for the small SBA loan because it's not that easy to get. And several others were denied, and he was really fortunate to get that. Also, with COVID, there were some pretty incredible programs going on where basically we got free rent or free financing for six months. So pretty amazing. Wow, that's awesome. One of the reasons I ask about that is because I recently put an offer in on a commercial property, and it was a business too. And I went and got a letter from the bank. Uh, The seller requested with my offer that I had a letter from the bank saying they would provide financing. And I didn't even realize this, but in the letter, the loan officer had written in there contingent upon SBA approval and guidelines. And the seller said, my brokers have advised me not to accept an SBA loan because they are so hard to get and there are so many problems that come up. And I had to go to another bank and get a letter from another bank saying they would do the loan in-house and wouldn't use the SBA to do it. But that was kind of my first uh, run-in with using SBA for property. And long story short, I didn't get the property either. Anyway, so it didn't even matter. <laughs> and I'm still crying about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she's in Vegas right now. She had to go blow off some steam to, to get past the, the loss of the... <laughs> this show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP Like Bigger Pockets Investor for six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Well, Holly, I, I want to switch gears a little bit because you're now a, a real estate agent, correct? Were you an agent when you first got started? What prompted the transition into the world of becoming a realtor? No, I wasn't. So my background was sales. And then uh, I got so burnt out on just corporate life. So I ended up switching over to still selling insurance, but as a 1099. And then I got pregnant. And so I kind of, you know, was stay at home mom for a while. I have two little ones. So that's still a pretty big part of my day. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I was just so immersed with the real estate investing side and just so obsessed with it. I finally I said, you know what, let me just go ahead and get my license because I'm already have the sales background. I really love I have four younger brothers, you know, and I'm always talking to them about real estate. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Like, I think I can help other people. So I also just found looking in all these different markets. I met with a lot of realtors. A lot of them state that they are really investor savvy. I mean, bless their hearts, but, you know, they're just not. So, I mean, either they don't invest themselves, which is fine. you got to start somewhere. Or they just didn't get the lingo. You know, they're just little things that really help when you work with an investor-focused agent. So I just felt like, man, it's amazing how few agents there really are that work with investors. I mean, now that I am a realtor, I focus 100% of my marketing efforts on, I mean, full disclosure, I only use bigger pockets for as a realtor. And I have more buyers than I can handle, which is kind of a common thing right now. But I send a lot of referrals and I really struggle to find investor-friendly agents across the country. So 
which I understand there are reasons for that. But uh, but yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I just love being a, a realtor and I love working with investors. Thank you for breaking that down for us. We just had David Green on The Ricky Show on episode 81, and he kind of broke down his thought process on why an investor should or shouldn't become a realtor. And your reason of why you became a realtor aligns with what David Green suggested. He said, if you have a desire to actually become an agent and become a really good agent, then you should become an agent. But if your goal is just to, I don't know, like close on the one or two deals that you buy a year and just represent yourself, it's not really, is it really worth the time and the effort to become an agent? So I feel like we get that question a lot in the rookie groups and people message me and I'm sure Ashley gets it as well is, do you think I need to get my license to become a real estate investor? I think the answer to that is no. But if your goal is to build a side business of also being a realtor, then obviously that's the path that, that you want to go down. So your experience was just a good example of that. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. It's hard to determine where to put my time every day. I've had to really be careful and not say yes to too many people and to too many things when it comes to being a realtor. And I'm really trying to leverage my network and build a network of other investor savvy agents because I just can't do it all. I've got a two month old. I've got these Airbnbs launching. I've got a two, an insane two year old, just literally insane. So, I mean, you just can't do everything. And being a realtor is, it's a job. And so it's, I think if you, it's easy to get very distracted from your goals. I have to remind myself, like my goals as a realtor are probably not the same as a traditional real estate agent who doesn't have any interest in investing or building an empire. You know, I want to build an empire over here. You can't do it. Well, maybe some people can do it all, but not me. (laughs) Holly, what are some of the questions that you ask these other agents when you are kind of vetting them to see if they are investor friendly? What are you looking for? Uh, Could you give some advice to our listeners if they are looking to hire an agent? What are some things they should look for and ask for? Do you have any properties yourself? Do you work with other investors? I'm looking for, I mean, specifically, I get a lot of leads for North Georgia these days. It's pretty hot for Airbnbs now. And I can tell you, I've really struggled to find a partner up there that even knows what Airbnb stands for. I, I kid, but it's a very old school vacation rental market. It's so it's kind of hard to find agents that are at least somewhat Airbnb savvy. I think a savvy Airbnb agent will know something about the ordinances, at least in their local market, or how to find them out for someone. So understanding that's important. Someone who can kind of give you a quick gut check if you send them a property. I guess I'm looking for someone that's not just going to immediately their knee-jerk reaction is, oh, you need cash. It's a crazy market. You know, basically just negative Nancy. You need somebody who's going to think outside the box, encourage you and say, look, we're going to find something. Whether it's, have you considered this market right next door? Okay. Same returns, but not as hot on the national market. I mean, just thinking outside the box. And so many times I think investors, especially if they're newer, a realtor just kind of scares them away with, oh, you can't compete. Just forget it. Well, that's not true. There's plenty of ways to skin the cat and there's just got to think outside the box just a little bit. And the biggest thing is that they ask you some questions. Try to understand your goals. Slow down for one moment. Maybe not just having a quick five minute phone call, but actually I try to do a face to face video call, a 30 minute, and I have my all my questions that I need answered and I'm prepared. 
And so those are the things that I would look for in an agent. That's a, a great breakdown of what to look for. And, and like I said, I, I think what you just talked through really echoes what David Green talked about a few episodes ago. Holly, I want to take us to our next segment, which is the mindset segment of the show. This is my favorite part because I feel like what holds a lot of rookie investors back isn't so much the lack of technical knowledge, it's the lack of the right mental courage to move forward. So if you think back to Holly before she became an investor, before she became an agent, what were some of the misconceptions you had about real estate investing that caused some fear, but turned out to be unfounded? Even still, I kind of have to fight back my thought process of, I can't do that. I'm not ready yet for that. When I don't know all the info, I don't have all the information. Financing is, of course, a big one. It's intimidating. I think I had a notion that we didn't have enough money. And even still, it's like, oh, we don't have enough money for that. <laughs> you know. But I haven't, I think talking with, just picking up the phone and calling, whether it's a short-term specific lender, and getting information on how to fund some of these short-term rentals specifically. I'm still learning about that. I mean, I missed out on a deal recently because we ran into a financing hiccup. Well, I didn't even realize until after I lost that deal that I could have gotten funding and bought that property with a short-term rental specific direct lender. So I think just being ignorant about things, not I don't mean that in a bad way, but just not understanding something, it's easy to be intimidated by it. But once you just pick up the phone, talk with someone, let them educate you a little bit and just take one little baby step towards it. It starts to become less and less intimidating and more tangible. And it's so doable. I mean, you just start to realize that you're not that different from all these other people. There's nothing, it's not magic. You're not that far away. And I had a realtor before I was a realtor, our realtor at the time, he really helped us after we had closed on our house, we were having lunch and I, I'm sure I was talking about wanting to invest and oh, we're six months, we're a year out. We have to get the, he says, I don't think you're that far. Why don't you just take a, just lean into it. I think you're like there actually. I think you guys are there and and we did. Sometimes you just need that person to really push you off the ledge, I think. It's funny you should say that while I'm in Vegas, I want to do the bungee jump thing off the, what is it? The stratosphere tower or whatever, but I have to have somebody go do it with me because I'm going to need them to like push me off the edge because I won't be able to jump myself. (laughs) So I understand having that person, that person to hold you accountable and that's going to support you and push you and help you do things because a lot of times it is just a little mindset thing and you are 100% capable and able to do something, but it really helps having a supportive partner too. Okay, so let's move on to our rookie request line. Uh, you guys can give us a call at one 888 rookie and leave Tony and I a voicemail. Leave us a question and we'll play it for our guests on an episode. Hey guys, this is Landon from Hingbridge, Alaska. And I just had a question regarding accounting for every dollar on an investment property. After I've done all my analysis, I'm looking at a property and I'm going to be cash flowing about four to $500 a month on a fourplex. And I just really want to make sure I'm putting a purpose to each dollar and kind of sectioning out, you know, the 10% I have for CapEx or the 10% I have for vacancies and just kind of setting those aside in different pools of money. I just wanted to see if there's different methods or different softwares or things like that where you can separate all of that money out into those individual sections or accounts or whatnot and what the best methods are for that. So that was it. Thanks so much. Bye. A 
Okay, so let's sum up Landon's response. So he's questioning about his variable expenses. So the CapEx, the property management, maybe he's self-managing now, but wants to account for having property management later on, then also saving for vacancies. So in the bigger pockets calculator reports, there is a section where you can put the percentage you want to save for each of those categories and even repairs and maintenance. What would be your advice as to how he should actually save for that money? Put it into different bank accounts every month, keep an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, What do you think about that? Mm, That's a good question. I don't. I I mean, I think that's probably smart that he would do that, but I keep it all in the same operating account. Yes, I do do what he's doing. And although I think those sound a little high to me, but the percentages anyway, but I don't know about you guys. I keep it all in the same operating account. Yeah. Once I get to a certain amount has been saved, then I don't go beyond that. Yeah, I've got a just one thing to add on to here. So this is for for Landon, right? Landon, read the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. He's got a really kind of simple process for managing your cash flow and whatever business it is. The way that we've set up our business for our short-term rentals is that a certain percentage of our income goes into an, an operating expense account. So all of our income, all of our expenses flow out of that account. We have a separate account for profit distributions. We have a separate account for taxes. And then we have a separate account for reserves as well. And those kind of different accounts, pretty much once a month, we just distribute whatever the available balance is in that bank account, redistribute it to these other sub accounts based on whatever percentages we've set up. So sounds complicated, but if you guys read the book, it was really a life-changing book for me in terms of how we manage cash flow in our business. And Landon, I think that's kind of what you're looking for as well. And then one last plug, there's a bank, it's an online bank called Relay Financial. And I'm, I'm actually in the process of moving all of our bank accounts over to this new bank but they can automate the transactions of moving money from your main income account into all of these sub accounts on whatever date and whatever percentages you choose. So if you're looking for a software recommendation, Landon, I'd say Relay Bank might be a good place to start. Yeah, my local bank does that too. I have an online banking that I actually can put all of my LLC bank accounts into one kind of dashboard, and then you can set the automatic transfers every month too. So yeah, that's a great advice. You don't even need software. You could just use the online banking and almost every single bank allows you to open a free checking account and even more. And you can get all your, do your Christmas shopping, open 10 bank accounts during Christmas. You'll get a folding chair, you'll get a mug, you'll get cookware, you'll get Tupperware containers, all those free (laughs) things that the local banks give out with the big bows on it. (laughs) Anyway, if you get a folding chair from Ashley during Christmas time, you know where it came from. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what's really funny is I don't even get the gifts anymore. Yeah, because you opened up some. You've been around. I so just long. yeah. They just probably just don't think that I care. I don't know. But the last time I opened one, I actually rode my motorcycle there, and I I email them all the information beforehand. And then I just go in and sign and. I completely forgot about the folder with like the starter checks and everything like that. And I. I said, do you think I could come back and pick this up another time? And because I, I didn't have a bag or anything with me. And they actually mailed it to me, which I, I thought was really nice. But yeah, it's a nice little plug to Community Bank in Buffalo. Okay, Holly, let's go to our random questions. So my question today is, we haven't asked this one in a while, but what is a bucket list item that you want to cross off? It can be some in your personal life, something with family, or it could be something to do with real estate investing that you want to accomplish or achieve. 
I really want 40 by 40, so I want 40 doors by 40. And the only reason I I made that goal is because I heard Scott McGillivray. Am I saying that right? He said he did the 25 <laughs> by 25. Don't laugh because I did the goal of 30 by 30, and I was like, I think, three weeks shy of it. I had I was closing on a triplex. So when I actually turned 30, I had a I was two doors short and then close on it three weeks later. But yeah, don't laugh. It's a fun goal. It's motivating. As long as you remember that you're not just trying to accumulate units and that they're actually cash flowing (laughs) units, because I think a lot of times people get caught up in I want 100 units. Okay, well, sometimes you can have 30 units that cash flow the same as somebody that has 100 units. So don't ever get caught up in how many units. But yeah, I will be cheering for you 40 by 40. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a little, I know, I'm like, wait, how old? I I was just with a bunch of family in Florida (laughs) this past weekend. And I was like, wait, how old am I? I asked my my stepmom, do you know how old I am? She's like, like, oh, no. Yeah, so I've got to move fast, but uh, no, I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best. So my question, Holly, is what does your family think about your real estate investing? And what did they think about you making the transition into the world of real estate sales as an agent? Mm, I think everyone was really supportive of that. I think I should have done that a long time ago, actually. It's a really good fit for me. But as far as the real estate investing, there's definitely some haters in my family. I don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't say haters, but no, there's some naysaying. There's some, you're crazy for trying to do it so long distance, right? That one's pretty common. But overall, I think my brothers, my younger brothers, I think they think it's pretty awesome. So I think they all want to do it as well. It seems like the younger generation is a little different than the older when it comes to real estate investing. It's probably because of bigger pockets. Yeah, <laughs> I'd agree. I'd agree. But I guess one thing to add on to that, Holly, right? Like it's, uh, I think it's easy for family members to be skeptics and to, like you said, kind of be the the naysayers. But the thing we have to remember as real estate investors, and especially for the rookies that haven't done their first deal, is that just because your Uncle Joe or your Aunt Jane or whoever, just because they say the market is about to crash and now's a terrible time to buy a house, you have to ask yourself, okay, how many units do you have? How many units does that person have that's giving you that advice? And if it's a zero, then you've got to learn how to filter that information out, right? Now, if Uncle Joe's got a thousand doors, then maybe you want to take his advice a little bit more seriously, but you've got to have the courage to kind of filter that advice based on who's giving it to you. You you know, I still love you, Uncle Joe, but I'm, I'm going to put your advice to the side for now. So great advice, Holly. Yeah. And just smile and move on. Don't try to argue, you know, but you know, the other thing beyond that, another point is there's a lot of cool technology out there that wasn't there. You know, when my grandparents had a rental property that was a nightmare for them and they hated it. Well, I mean, now there's some phenomenal pre-screening software and there's just, there's a lot that we have now at our disposal to help us do remote investing where maybe even five years ago would have been a much more challenging proposition. So Yeah, technology has been, been a great asset for everyone in this day and age, right? I love it. So Holly, we're getting to the end here. I want to give one quick shout out to one of our Ricky rock stars. So for the listeners, rookies, if you guys want to be shouted out on the show, make sure you're active in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. I think we're up to, I don't even know how many members now, 30 something around there. We're growing at a rapid clip and the group is super, super active. But today's Rookie Rockstar 
is Randy Ragulos. Uh, so Randy just finished his first burr. They closed on the refinance. So I'll run through the numbers really quickly. They bought the house for about a hundred grand, put about another 23,000 into the rehab. They were all in for about 134 once you factor in other holding costs and things like that. The property appraised for 168 and they were able to pull out exactly 134 that they invested. So a perfect burr in every sense of the word. Um, and now they're looking to cash flow about 212 bucks per month with zero money left in the deal. So Randy, congratulations. That is the exact kind of bird deal that we want to celebrate. Woohoo! Awesome. <laughs> Good job, Randy. <laughs> Holly, can you tell everybody where they can find out some more information about you and possibly reach out to you to connect? Hey, get on Clubhouse. If you're not on there, definitely get on there and follow me there. By the way, I've learned a ton when it comes to short-term rentals on there. So highly recommend that. But Holly N, as in Nicole, I'm in Lambert. I think that's my handle on... Um, Instagram. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram and, and Clubhouse. Those are the main ways. Awesome. Thank you so much. I haven't been on Clubhouse in a while. Actually, when it first came out, I was pretty active, but I haven't been in a while. Have you, Tony? I was just on yesterday, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even, I had it set to get notifications. I don't even think I'm getting, I must have turned notifications off because I keep forgetting that it's even there. But yeah, that is a great app. And I, you don't have to be invited anymore, Is right? Is it open to everybody now? I think it's still invites, but they open it up to Android now, I think was the biggest, the most recent change. So you guys check out, take Holly's advice, check out Clubhouse and connect with other investors. Hey, well, thank you so much for joining us. This was great learning about USDA loans, SBA loans, and definitely the questions of uh, how to find an investor friendly agent too. So thank you very much for coming on today. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.